Um, the paper that I'm giving this morning has changed just a little bit from what was in the abstract. I realized I was trying to do too much, and so I've um, got this uh, slightly more around the um, uh, Elihu Barrett's activity and how uh, I want to use him to tease out a broader conceptual framework which can help to connect the discourses of uh, 1840s peace and design. Um, whether this will be of interest to everyone I don't know, but at least by the end of this talk I hope that you will be able to go away with a slightly different way of thinking about the Great Exhibition of 1851. Now, I stumbled over Elihu Barrett while I was doing my PhD research. Uh, this was into Hands Across the Sea postcards, and as part of this research, I wanted to find out where the class hands symbol was used previously and how it had moved into this genre of postcard. Um, and along the way, I discovered a reference to it here um, in the... Uh, uh, a discussion in the Daily News of London about the Peace Bazaar of 1850. Uh, and in it, it was talking about uh, a stall which had been set up with flags, with clasped hands, with the telegraph, with ships and boats, and the whole iconography that was being used felt very familiar to me. Um, now, the stall was set up by the League of the Universal Brotherhood, which was a body turned out, um, which was set up by a man called Elihu Barrett. Um, and uh, here we have, uh, I don't know why I've lost a, a slide here. Um, anyway, won't matter. Um, Elihu Barrett uh, is an American peace activist, and um, he came to London using the clasped hands as a contemporary writer said, his cognizance, that is his emblem. Um, he's a fascinating character. He was a, um, born into a working class family in America. He was blacksmith and he remained a blacksmith all his life. Uh, he had no money most of the time and made his money by itinerant blacksmith work as he did his peace campaigning. Um, he came to national prominence in the States as a linguist. Um, he, while he was working, taught himself 50 different languages and uh, he, <coughs> as a result, became quite well known and alongside this he became a temperance act uh, campaigner, he set up a newspaper and he got into peace while preparing a talk about the uh, way that uh, geology showed uh, the uh, connectedness of the world and he suddenly realised that just as you have all these different soils, so if you look at the different people of the world, they're all connected. And he put this together into a Christian framework and became a peace activist. Uh, he arrived in uh, Britain in 1846, planning a four-month stay. Um, now, the period was uh, a really interesting one. Um, it, uh, and I, yes, I realise why my slide uh, is, is not working the way I intended to, but anyway, um, we'll see what comes up. Here we have uh, Elihu Barrett, and the period is a fascinating one. 1846, you have the Chartist unrest, you have social agitation around areas like temperance and anti-slavery, and 
Uh, Barrett was particularly uh, impressed by the way that the Anti-Corn Law League had um, organised itself in order to peacefully triumph um, and to get rid of the policies that had made a loaf of bread pretty much unobtainable for the working classes. And he was also very impressed by the way that the Penny Post provided an ability to work politically. Um, now, in case you're not familiar with the um, nature of the Penny Post, it standardized costs. It came in in 1840, and it removed pricing by the number of sheets of paper that you sent. Up until then, nobody sent things in envelopes because you would pay for an extra sheet. But after 1840, it didn't matter how many sheets of paper you used, and the post office itself put out penny black stamps and these envelopes, pictorial envelopes, which were mercilessly caricatured in the press um, and went out very quickly. But the idea of having a pictorial envelope stuck. Uh, and Burrett realised that he could use the uh, postal system to further his peace ends. Uh, he started out um, by setting out on a walking tour around uh, England uh, this was aimed at mobilising the labouring classes uh, by meeting with people in, that's his term incidentally, meeting people in small upper rooms. Um, and I should say that Burrett identified as being working class. He had no aspirations to be middle class um, and was very happy with his own role. And he wanted to use working class opinion to effect change uh, politically. Uh, and this was where he uh, set up the League of Universal Brother, center, Brotherhood centred around this pledge, which somehow or other has jumped out of order in my slideshow. Um, so the pledge here um, was uh, basically asked people to sign it uh, and to uh, believe that all war was inconsistent with the spirit of Christianity, etc., etc. You will be more familiar with this as a temperance pledge. In fact, he borrowed the idea from temperance campaigners. But within six months, he had over 50,000 people signed up to this uh, uh, in Britain and another 20,000 in Europe. Uh, it was a huge campaign. And alongside this, he um, organized <coughs> peace congresses in Paris, in Frankfurt, where Victor Hugo was the main speaker, and in London in 1851. Um, he also sent out, uh, you know, if he had lived today, he would have been a blogger because he wrote all the time little pieces uh, pushing the peace idea uh, and sent them out calling them olive leaves and people could subscribe to them or he sent them directly to all the different newspapers who frequently published them. So he became very well known as a result. And these obviously were sent out in something, and he used pictorial envelopes like, like this one, which I'll come back to shortly. Um, his interest, I, I should add, in the um, postal reform, because he saw uh, the Penny Post as just part of the way to achieving a peaceful result, he wanted um, to actually move uh, people to having an international Penny Post which would allow poor people to communicate across national boundaries. And he believed that this would be very beneficial to the idea of peace. 
uh, and this was facilitated uh, by him seeing Irish peasants farewelling their family um, as a result of the potato famine. And at that point, they, if people went overseas, they knew they could not communicate again with their, with their families because it was too expensive. So anyway, um, Burrett is interesting because um, although he was similar to um, most of the um, reformers of his time in using primarily linguistic um, modes of uh, getting across the idea of peace, he also were engaged in strongly visual tactics. Um, not all, they're not original. He, for example, uh, came up with a print. This was done to his design by a, an artist called Henry Annelay, uh, and it shows John Bull being petitioned by his nephews and nieces to send <coughs> a letter to cousin Jonathan in the States for a penny. Um, he also um, developed the pledge idea, so you have a much more pictorial pledge here. Um, and the rest of his um, visual work was associated with the distribution of his postal campaigns, which he enhanced by the use of imagery. And he has a lovely little quote where he talks about this as a little quietly working instrumentality for extending the circulation of an idea. Um, he used, for example, letterheads, peace, brotherhood, progress. We have here with an olive, uh, olive leaf, um, a dove and an olive leaf at the top. Um, and he developed the um, postal stationery out into envelopes. This is another of Henry Annalee desi designs for the Ocean Penny Postage, which, as I say, was part of Barrett's peace campaign. Um, <coughs> now, He's not completely novel in this. Other reformers had been using envelopes sporadically, and these are this is an anti-corn law league and a chartist envelope, which predate these. But in general, um, people who write about this say that Barrett was the person who stimulated reformers to use um, uh, visual envelopes and pictorial envelopes for their campaigns through the 1850s, and it became very popular after this. Um, now, this, um, Burrett mentioned casually in a letter that they had sent over a million of these peace envelopes, right? And uh, one of the people responsible for them, alongside the one I showed you from Henry Annalee, is James Valentine, who's a Scottish um, uh, engraver. Uh, he would subsequently um, move on, this is in here, uh, he would move on from engraving uh, to becoming a photographer. And his, uh, he's much better known as Valentine and Sons, who are, uh, are a very important Scottish uh, photography company. Um, now, Valentine did a whole series of different envelopes. And you can see up here, uh, Brotherhood, um, Ocean Penny Post. These are similar to uh, Elihud Barrett stuff, but also anti-slavery and temperance. Now, if you look for these today, you'll find them put in different categories. These are temperance envelopes. These are anti-slavery envelopes. But this is an advert that Valentine put out for this. 
and along with uh, Elihu Barak supporting it, we find at the top that this is labelled as five moral reform envelopes. Ocean Penny Postage, Peace, Brotherhood, Temperance and Anti-Slavery. In other words, these were seen as a package, and they were conceptually seen as a package. And the term being used is moral reform. Now, uh, moral reform is an interesting mix of the evangelical religion and rationalism, where the sovereign individual is seen as needing to reform and educate character. The individual is malleable, and so ideally, individuals help themselves to improve themselves, but the new business middle classes felt obliged to help the labouring classes develop character and self-control. Out of this come movements like the Sunday School Movement, anti-slavery, <coughs> poor relief, anti-prostitution, the RSPCA. Um, and um, until the mid-1850s, Google Engram, wonderful invention, tells us that moral reform was more widely used than the term social reform. Social reform uh, by the 1880s was outstripping moral reform, and today we think of all of these things as social reform, but in the 1840s and 50s and earlier, they were seen as moral reform. M.J.D. Roberts has written a book about uh, the development of this um, approach, um, but he doesn't at any point include peace in the uh, discussion. But quite clearly, we can see that, uh, for James Valentine at least, peace was part of a moral reform campaign. Now, it's at this point that I want to move to the Great Exhibition. Uh, because at the same time that the 1851 Peace Congress was going on in London, there was another little event called the Great <laughs> Exhibition. And Barrett called it the Palace of Peace and Concord, and the Crystal Temple of Peace. Interestingly, here on the cover of the art journal, we have a figure of peace, bringing art and craft together, right? And Geoffrey Cantor, who's recently book of, uh, written a book on the great exhibition and religion, notes uh, that uh, Prince Albert's speech at the start uh, was talking about we are living in a wonderful period of the most sorry we're living at a period of the most wonderful tr transition, the reality of the unity of mankind, and noting the exhibition's role in promoting peace, love, and ready assistance not only between individuals but between nations of the earth. So basically, um, we have a sense that peace is part of the discussion uh, going on around the Great Exhibition. And it's then worth thinking about the fact that Henry Cole, who was one of the organizers, uh, although he's not heavily involved in the peace movement, was heavily involved in moral reform. And he saw the design reform movement as being one of moral reform. This has been pointed out in the 1980s by James A. Schmeichen. Uh, and recently, Deborah Cohen has written about this in her wonderful book, Household Gods. Um, this is, uh, you'll be aware obviously that Henry Cole was part of the reform movement along with uh, Richard Redgrave and a uh, 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 little guy called Owen Jones and you know, people like this. And their aim was to improve the taste of the British public. Now, we tend to think of this crazy, yeah, right, uh, as being uh, 
a um, sort of slightly weird thing, and particularly when we have it framed as being a moral issue, uh, that somehow ugly wallpaper is morally bad, it's difficult to credit this. Yet that is how Henry Cole was framing it. Um, now, to me, this, you know, the whole idea around Cole's um, uh, reform didn't make sense until I was able to frame it in this wider moral reform um, framework. And this is what I would like to take out of the, uh, the, uh, today's talk, which is that, firstly, Elihu Barrett was an interesting uh, person who understood the potential of visual propaganda fairly early on. Uh, I've skipped a part uh, uh, <laughs> through here which uh, was just pointing out that I, th I personally think that he um, believed that um, using the visual helped to uh, access the laboring classes, as he called them, um, and that that may account for his interest in the visual. Um, Secondly, we can say that moral reform provides both peace and design reform with a common conceptual framework. And this is in the relation to the conference, what I think is a useful thing to think about. Um, and then uh, we can also conclude that there was a stronger moral reform and peace component to the Great Exhibition, perhaps, than is generally acknowledged. Although this has been pointed out, I don't think it's been picked up sufficient, with sufficient force. Um, and the implications we can take from this are that, firstly, it reminds us of the fact that the peace movement is built on a moral foundation. I had no idea there was such a large peace movement of this period, or that it was framing itself in moral terms. Secondly, we have, I think, an additional framework for considering the early phases of design reform. This is not going to change what has been written already, but I think it adds another aspect to thinking about how we, we talk about the early design reform movement, which in general gets rather short shrift in the design literature, uh, unfairly in my opinion. And finally, I think it's use useful for us to appreciate that these design reformers shared an interest in ethical <coughs> dimensions of design given the way that our current um, discussion around the ethical um, needs of design uh, are going. So I think there is a link that can be made from this to contemporary discussions of design. Thank you very much.